listening to Make It, a podcast by Banzai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Buggs. Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I have my good friend, co-founder of Bonsai Creative with me, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. <laughs> this is like the Captain Kirk intro over here. <laughs> Nick, say Hello. All right. Okay, hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, it's coming. I know. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I do. I want to keep this audience on their toes. I know they're used to the normal like sort of call letters, if you will, for this this program. I'm trying to trademark <laughs> hello hello. I don't know if anyone else says hello hello. They probably do. I mean, who oh, wouldn't, yeah. right? I do it. Yeah. But how many people say hello hello hello? <laughs> go, for that. Like, go for that third one can you get can you do the fourth one without being in like, hello 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 now you're fucking like you're weird you're like what about it's annoying All no 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 but like, can you do the third one can, can you do the third one with a pause hello 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 <laughs> there you go <laughs> oh, just, maybe, maybe you just change the change the tone the intonation yeah. hello 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 yeah, right. <laughs> I'm disappointed in you. You're right, you I'm sound disappointed like a in to yourself. You. Are you? By the way, I want to. Can I share? Can I share with you the libation uh, of the night tonight? Yeah, please do. With you in this audience, I'm having. I highly recommend this. Okay, I'm having, and for those on audio, I'll I'll tell you what it is. For those seeing this on video, you'll see the bottle in the camera. But this is the uh, Calafino Tequila Extra Anejo, 100% agave. And what makes this uh, particularly special is that it was finished in bourbon casts. That's what gives it that nice brown glow there. And for anyone who is not a fan of tequila, they will be a fan of this. Let's say, like, you're a fan of bourbon and whiskey, but not a fan of tequila. This is your starter tequila for that person. This is how you get them hooked. This is how you, not, well, not that you want them to get hooked, uh, <laughs> drive, drive safely. But right, I'm saying this is how, this is, this is the starter drug, right, to get them fully invested in high-end tequila. And look, at the end of the day, Tequila's there's no alcohol that's good for you, uh, despite what anyone says. But there are alcohols that are worse for you than others, right? True. Yep. And tequila's probably on the top of the list in terms of good for you alcohols, right? With maybe gin as a close second, but 
Uh, if you're looking for something new, something interesting, tequila, Nick, and this audience, Califino, C-A-L-I-F-I-N-O. It's exquisite. Exquisite. It's just it's buttery on my tongue. Uh, I was, was going to ask you. I was like, what's what's the flavor I'm profile there? I'm actually going to take a sip right now. Oh, there you go. Mm. Mm. You just had to be mm. quiet for that moment. I love drinking out of these glasses because these are my memento mori glasses, right? And this is how I talk people into drinking with me when they're like on a fast or they don't really want to drink. <laughs> I say, hey, just forget, just don't forget, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to die one day. And do you want to say that, you know, what if you die tomorrow, do you want to say you didn't have a drink with me? Yeah. This fine libation? Low key over like, here. I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll break my fast or I guess I'll right. break my. You know, my dry spill, and I'll, I'll have a drink with you, Chris. Just make it a fun night. Done. You know, done. Yeah. Easy. Easy. So, Calafino. let's do some housekeeping. Yeah, Calafino. Let's do some housekeeping. I mentioned many moons ago that I had this enormous movie watch list to watch, and I would love to report to this audience, this brilliant audience, that I have completed said watch list. It wasn't easy. And now, it wasn't cheap. It was yeah, right in the middle as well. <laughs> and let me ask you about that. Okay. We many moons ago, we also had a conversation about the watch list. Mm-hmm. Right. And this idea that, you know, I think Netflix, everybody has a watch list, right? But a lot of those streamers seem to be moving away from the watch list with the idea. Yeah. You know, or at least not leveraging the algorithm as much based off of your watch list. Because what ended up happening is, as obviously did not happen to you, we put stuff on our watch list that we never actually watch. We never watch it. <laughs> so, watch it. so you, so leveraging this or using the algorithm based off of what you put on your watch list is like a fool's errand. Because just because you bookmarked it doesn't mean you're going back. So they're actually tracking what you really watch, not what you maybe aspire to watch. It's like the Oscar movies. You know, it was probably on everybody's list. So like, oh, I got to watch this. I'm going, oh, I got to watch. I don't really want to watch it, but because it's the thing, right? I got to watch it or it won the thing. So I got to watch it. And then, yeah, at, a week after the being, Oscars. you being cynical. I'm just saying, you know, I think, you know, the, the streamers <laughs> have figured it out, you know, and they have your data, you know, like they, they know what's up. So, I, and I'll admit, I'm one of those people. I got some stuff on my watch list that, you know, I just have not gotten around to watching. I need to handle up. We don't only do that with movies. That's what I figured out. Anything you put to the side to do later will not be done. Well, let's whether it be why? email. That's my big mm-hmm. one. Like, oh, I'll read that. Or for me, you know, another big one for me. Safari tabs on my iPhone. I'm a big oh, sucker okay. for a great headline. So yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll click the link. And I'll be like, I don't have time to read you now, but I will read you. Mm-hmm. And I opened my phone the other day, and I have 86 tabs open. There you go. Yep. I have 86 <laughs> articles to read, and it's like a messy room. Like, the messier your room gets, the percentage chance, probability that you're going to clean your room decreases. Right. <laughs> the more tabs I open and don't complete, the, the, 
the, the lower, lower the, the likelihood probability is that yeah. I'm going to read any of these articles. Yes, that's right. Because after a while, you're going to you're going to you're going to hit it. You're going to swipe, 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 swipe. Mm-hmm. Right? X, 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 X. Like knock that yeah. sucker out because it's just it's just too much. It's it's just overwhelmingly messy. X, 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 extension. And <laughs> like the, <laughs> I, I, when I got my new phone, the the latest, I guess, iPhone or whatever, the casualty of that phone was the 355 tabs I had open, articles I had open on that phone. Wow. Yeah, 355. So there was no chance. To um, forget about I, it. I have to, to learn. I, I have about to, it. I, listen, I, I'm trying hard to know myself. Oh, there you go. And so, that's what I was going to get at. Yeah. It's like, I still, I think, so the tabs is slightly different from the films. And I'll say this, okay. this is why. Okay. Okay. I think the tabs are a direct reflection of who you are, mm-hmm. right? Because you see the thing and you want to save it in the I moment. I want to read it in my heart. Of right. Heart. Exactly. But with films, I feel like there's a little bit of potential, like aspiration, uh yeah 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 where you're right, like where you're really kind of pretending a little bit there you go like i want to be the person who also has watched this film and has commentary on this film yeah. or i want to be the person who agrees that it was worthy of the accolades that it received but maybe in your heart of hearts you never click that <laughs> you know, like literally never. what happened with Power of the Dog this year. They're, Power of the Dog should yep. have won movie movie of the year. It was going to sweep. It was going to win everything. Now Jane uh, Campion still did great, but it was going to win mm-hmm. everything. And then it got a little backlash, and and not about the fact that there were there were sort of homosexual windows in it or whatever. That wasn't it. That, th- those things got sort of shut down right away. Yeah. What happened was is that the Twitter's the Twitter sphere, as they call it, uh, got a hold of it, and it was just regular viewers that said, "Did you guys make it through this movie?" <laughs> yeah. It was just people See? saying that the movie was like slowly paced. Right, and it was. I it mean, was. I, you have for to, me, it, for me, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I still think it was the best twist ending of any movie this year. And um, are, are, are way up there, but I'm not everybody, man. Right? I, I can I get that in a world where Yellowstone is the standard for a western, uh, definitely definitely not enough pace. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of great performances, a lot of great like nuances where where the, you know, I mean Benedict Cumberbatch is a real bastard in that movie. I mean, he pokes the bear a lot. Right. And, um, but is that enough to keep you hanging on, you know? And so I think once the general public said, and this is going to be movie of the year, it lost a little, a little steam. And then what happened is Coda, which I've said too many times in this podcast is a great movie. It's like ad nauseum at this point. Right. What happened is that was so satisfying without sacrificing any artistic, you know, um, clout and it became the, the obvious choice for you know movie of the, of the year um but i want to go down this list of films now this isn't exhaustive i've watched more than this but here was the list belfast nightmare alley tick tick boom 
Coda, Licorice Pizza, Titan, Dune, Being the Ricardos, Drive My Car, The Hand of God, Red Rocket, Parallel Mothers, which was the last movie on the list that I saw, The Worst Person in the World, The Green Knight, Flea, The Tinder Bar, The French Dispatch. And the first film was the French Dispatch. That was the first one I watched on the list. And I made this list like late November, early December, maybe mid-December, something like that. And it took me until literally, I want to say, last week or so, maybe two weeks ago, I finished Parallel Mothers, and that was the end of the list. And I, it, it, here's the thing that happens when you watch this many really, really, really good movies. Uh one, you have very little patience for, you know, movies that, that don't try as hard. <laughs> they don't um, live I did, up to I that did just watch measure. The Northman. I was invited to a screening, early screening of The Northman. Pretty gruesome. Pretty, pretty bloody. Pretty, uh, they, they didn't hold back on the violence. <laughs> but it is, it is a good story. It has a great cast. And, but it's not for, Everyone and it's <laughs> right, well, not for your children. There you go. When you Even say if gruesome. they're thirteen, right? Okay. Uh, oh, with the, I mean, gruesome's being so generous, Nick. I wow. guess the like this is beyond. Like okay, so anyway, um, <laughs> it's kind of like Titan in that way. Like Titan starts off uh, as. I think of all these movies, it probably has the sexiest opening of any movie. Like it is, it is undeniable. You cannot take your eyes off the screen for the first six minutes of this movie. And I don't really want to give it away on this one because it's not like Coda. Like Coda, a lot of people have seen. Tick, tick, boom, a lot of people have seen. I don't think a lot of people have found Titan. You know, it's a foreign film, but it is so hyper- sexual violent it's unbelievable in the first six minutes is just sexual so, and, so, so let me ask and, this question. And, and and sort of arousing yeah yeah and let me ask you this question okay mm-hmm. so there's this list mm-hmm. okay what is compelling you to watch the movies on this list i think it was because i'd never been i've never experienced a year like 2021 where you had this many good movies to choose from uh as a viewer and from an award standpoint, there were so many movies that could have like one, like, like what movie it's almost like trying to create a top 10 in soccer or basketball. Like the question isn't who's in the top 10. The question is who are you going to take out? Yeah. Who do you take out to put somebody in? So I look at this list and I'm like, okay, well the green Knight is, is, is highly poetic. It's like uh, the tragedy of Macbeth with, with Denzel. Those two movies aren't for everybody. They're great, but they're not for everybody. Maybe I take those out and I say, okay, those are on the bottom of the of the list. Um, House of Gucci is the most commercial. Jared Leto makes an acting choice in this movie that he's take he took some heat for. He went like full on Italian. Oh, Luigi Mozzarella. And he talked like that the entire movie. But in his defense, and nobody else did. And in his defense, he was playing an Italian imbecile. 
Right. Like he's playing somebody who fell into money and didn't earn the money and was quickly going to lose the money. So, you know, I'm not going to say anything about Jared Leto. If you watch, we crashed on Apple. This guy's unbelievable. I mean, I started forgetting that it was Jared Leto and Hathaway's mm. incredible in that as well. Um, the worst overall I'd have to say on this list is being the Ricardos. It was interesting because I, you know, I wanted to really love it. It, it was, it was, everything was, it's, it's hard to point out something that was bad about it per se from the performance or writing standpoint. Those things were excellent. The direction was great. I think overall it leaves you with a bad feeling. And I think overall, we don't want to know those things about, uh, about Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball. I think that was the feeling that was left with me and others that watched with me was like, you know, I would have been good if I could have stayed in the fantasy world of who I thought those people were. Is that what hurt the movie for you? I mean, but so if you take that feeling away, like, cause you know, you kind of, you, you mentioned it's like the worst, right? Like that's, it's that's the worst pretty of strong word. Really great. I know, but at the worst, like, like you're like, no, that's the worst. So is it like, is it still a great film? And it's just, you just felt that you had a bad feeling. Cause I'm with you on that. Like, that's why, you know, that Cosby documentary, like, I don't need that in my life. I watched like, it. So, it was really good. I know you did. But, but it was like, one-sided. I'm like, and I, I know, like but that. like I said, I don't need to watch that stuff, man. Just like when they did Michael the way they did him. I'm like, I don't need to watch that. It's like not that. for me. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> so I don't, I leave it alone. So is that what it was? It was that really the thing that made it hit kind of like the bottom of your list. It's like, no, it wasn't like it was a bad movie. It's just, I didn't need that in my life. I didn't need it. And, and I thought it was a downward spiral. I tend to like those kind of movies. Like I love Requiem for a dream. That's just, it goes from bad to badder, like worse for these characters. (laughs) But because I, I grew up around people like that, and and overcame people like that, frankly, it hit home for me. And I think at the time I watched it, it was meaningful to me. You know, if I watched it today, maybe I'd be like, ooh, that was super dark. I mean, it is super yeah. dark. You don't want you don't invite people over to watch Passion of the Christ in Rec Room for a Dream. I've always right. said that. Yeah. But this this was kind of like, you know, like ah, I didn't want to know that about these people. But th- but that being said. You know, there are certain movies on this list that are so uh, unique that um, they're not going to be for everybody. So, like, Green Knight, Flea, which is animated to protect the uh, identity of the protagonist. The French Dispatch, which is Wes Anderson. Unbelievably good. Unbelievably good. Hilarious. But... I've heard people say, "Oh, I turned that off in 20 minutes." It's just oh, wow. too, it's just too different for them. It's unfortunate that they couldn't hang on. I loved it. Um, those are there. There are movies like that on this list where it's like, okay, that's um, I've mentioned. Even though it's not on the list, Tragedy of Macbeth would be a movie that fell into yep. that. There are commercial movies like House of Gucci and Dune. Dune's I take that back. Dune's probably the most commercial one. Um, no one. You, there's barely any dialogue in Dune. You know what killed Dune for me? Everything was great in Dune. Like it was a really big, bombastic movie, and the sound is unbelievable. Every, like what killed me in Dune is the is the last fight scene. Timothy Chalamet's not beating up that black dude. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. 
<laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, that's just not going to work. He's jacked. You're right. He's from the streets. Like, he's like, whatever the streets are for those planets, that's where he's from. <laughs> the planets so is called seen, the streets. He's seen harder, badder <laughs> dudes than Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet doesn't even have any acne. Like he does, he's like flawless. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he would have got his, he would have got his lunch ate in real life. Wow. I know the story needs Timothy Chalamet to survive and you know beat this dude, but nah. But, nah, <laughs> he's like, nah seen, you're seen not, too many real fights. Been in too many real fights to to buy that. Gotcha. Um, the standouts for me on this list, and it's it's crazy because again, these are such good movies. Obviously, Coda, I've talked about it. Tick, yeah. Tick, Boom is another one that's perfect for indie filmmakers to watch. Um, but not better than a lot of the movies on this on this list. Like, not better than Belfast. Not better than Nightmare Alley, in my opinion. Um, you know, not not better than, than The Hand of God. That's one of the... So, I'll anyway, I'll go back and say, okay, here are the ones on the list that were... And then we can, we can move on. Here are the <laughs> ones that were the... The best of the best to me. The Hand of God is on Netflix. And it's funny because if you type in Hand of God, you can't find it. But you add the V to it. The to it in the beginning. And it comes Whatever. right up. So frustrating. That's crazy. Anyway, uh, Netflix should not make this movie so hard to find. It is unbelievable. Thank you for that giant mug drink right there. Um, yes, sir. Sure there's whiskey in that. <laughs> and um, who knows? Um, but Hand of God, there, there are two scenes in The Hand of God that you will never see or you haven't seen in any movie in your life. It is heartbreaking and funny and sexy all at the same time. Um, the hand of God, big props to that. Uh, the second one, mm, I'm going to have to give the nod over licorice pizza to the worst person in the world. The worst person in the world is thoroughly well done well written you can tell the whoever wrote that has lived that and it's 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 pretty satisfying it 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 doesn't give you the happy ending but it doesn't do it in a way that you're like oh i knew they weren't going to give me a happy end. you know what i mean like where it's gotcha. become like the typical thing to like let right. the you know the viewer down it just, it seemed perfect, perfectly done in the sense that like, this is, of course, this is where these characters would end up. Great. Really heartbreaking too in moments. It was, it was fantastic. Um, Coda's up there, top one, right? So I don't need to mention it. And then, uh, uh, or mention it again. But to me, and this is the, this is the one. If this had been an American made film, an English film, it would have won movie of the year and it wouldn't have been close. It would have beat Coda as well. In my personal opinion, mm. drive my car, drive my car is so, so, so damn good. It's three <laughs> hours long. It's a long movie, man. It's a long movie, but they give you everything. They give you everything in it. And you could almost imagine, not that it should be American, not that it should be English. I'm just saying you can imagine how this movie would be if you had, you know, a typical leading man and woman in it. 
Um, I don't know the young lady that played the driver in the movie. I don't know her name. I'm so sorry about that. I'll have Elise look it up, put it in the show notes. But she was unbelievable. She's unbelievable. Um, the lead protagonist is unbelievable. And the setup is so relatable. And the other thing that I think this audience will love about it is it's about them. It's about someone who's an independent writer. You know, he's an artist. They're all, they're both artists. Uh, their whole process for remembering lines when they, they're both actors too. And they write like the process they have for remembering lines, the process they have for, for trading stories. It's just, it's unbelievable. And um, I just don't well, think enough you know, people are going to end up watching it. So it's on HBO Max you. now. I think like what's, what makes it compelling, right? Like that's the thing. So we've, we've had this conversation like you and I with a couple of our friends mm-hmm. about movies and about movies that they not, you know, believe that they should watch or, you know, whatever, or esoteric or whatever the yeah. thing is. And no, these are some of the films are films that they want to watch and it's part of who they are. But it comes down to that investment of time, right? There's movies where they're like, man, three hours, bro. Yeah. You know, like I got to give three hours of my life to watch this movie and I just haven't found the three hours. Yeah. Right. But would you say that, and what would you, what would be your pitch? Right. So for our audience, you mentioned it already a little bit about their actors, their creators, but what would be your pitch for three hours of a foreign film? pitch for three hours of a foreign film is do you want as a creative to watch a masterclass on pace and writing that makes a three hour film feel like a two hour film there you go because it's about you right that's about about the creative experience yeah just if you watch the movie the other thing is how about a masterclass on tone because and and i know this isn't going to come off as, as as something you understand right away nick because you haven't seen it but it's really difficult to blend a lot of different situations and circumstances in a character's arc, especially if they're highly diverse situations like this movie has and keep the same tone. Mm, okay. And somehow these filmmakers pulled it off. I mean, it's really easy to, to get out of pocket. You know, this movie starts off as, you know, lovers and this married couple and this, this warmth and all that stuff. And then it quickly turns into something else. And then it turns into something else and then it changes again. And then it turns into something else by the end. And they, you know, there's a, there's a scene at the very end in the snow that um, anybody listening would be, you know, would, would trade, you know, their left pinky to be able to shoot like it, it was, it was really a remarkable movie. And I just thought to myself right away, like, like based on the movies I saw this year. Yeah. Had that been, had that been an American made film with American actors in it, it would have been undeniable for the Academy. And, and look, like I said, it doesn't necessarily have to be right. Parasite won right. a couple yep. of years ago and it was unbelievable. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I, I think, I think on this one in particular, the language barrier and the cultural barrier, because, it, you know, it's happening in Japan, right. Was kind of enough to say like, oh, it's almost like how the departed 
was better for audiences once it came over here, except for the art house people who love the original version. Yeah, but right. Yeah. For most people, okay. having Matt Damon and Leo DiCaprio and Jack Nicholson in a movie made it palatable for them. Oh, of course. That's yeah, what makes sense. would need to, to happen, you know, for this one. So okay. anyway, movie list complete. It's April and uh, I can finally move on to 2022. I can, <laughs> I can. So, so we have uh, a couple of things like already. So the Northman I've already seen, right. But this new Nick Cage movie is getting incredible press and I want to go yep, see that. It is. And friend of the podcast and super creative uh, auteur Maki Dapp made me promise I would go watch uh, everything. What's it called? Everything, everything, everywhere, all, where, all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. yeah. In the theater. He said, you have to watch it in the theater. So I'm not allowed to stream this. So I'm got to go and, and watch it in the theater. So it's a really good start for content. Uh, I think this is a result of being like, like it's an output of like COVID and introspection and going really deep, like, and it's happening on all levels. I would expect our music to be incredible this year. Films, TV, uh, as you know, our best creators are going to have like their output be. Yeah. Well, you take off the constraints. Yeah. Right. That's the idea. Remove the shackles that were uh, COVID and express yourself and leverage all these, you know, you know, technology continues to improve. So, you know, imagine what, you know, great, wonderful toys they have, you know, now that they can, they can leverage that they couldn't leverage because of the constraints. So yeah. Just just think about, just think about going to a play right now. Mm -hmm. Those, those folks that, that are, are actors in, in theater, theater actors, they haven't been able to perform. Yeah. They're going to give you the performance of their that life. Yeah, that's right. Like, yeah. Like, I would highly recommend it. Anyone who's playing in orchestra, like go see the opera, go see like anywhere you have where people or creatives haven't been able to create together in a year or two, go do that. Cause you know, you're going to find out that those people are going to blow you out of the water and be so grateful doing it. Like it's going yeah, to be. And I think it's part of it's like you, like we just mentioned about they've been wanting to, it's kind of, you're holding this in, I can't say holding it mm-hmm. back. Right. But they're holding it in and they want to express. Uh, but I think the other part of it is, it's like, Hey, don't forget about us Yeah, because during these times, you know, we haven't been absent, you know, flow, a constant flow of content from other means, right? Like you mentioned yeah. streaming, right? They're even streaming on your phone. So it's like, Hey, put that stuff down. Remember us? These are things that we can do. These are the things that you were enjoying before this all went down. So yeah, come, we're going to give you the show of a lifetime to remind you of just how wonderful this is. Uh, I love it. And, um, we'd love to hear from the audience. Like what movies stuck out to you? What are your top three? Did I leave anything out? Am I missing the boat on, on anything? And I'd love to have that conversation with you. Of course, we say say this all the time at the end, but you can find us at underscore Bonsai Creative on social or hit us up on con- at contact at Bonsai Creative via email to uh, have that conversation. Uh, I want to do a second piece of housekeeping, Nick, which is 
uh, our promise to answer more of these listener and uh, indie creative questions uh, that uh, sort of emerged from a panel we did recently. And so we've we've identified a few more questions. We're going to read them out here and uh, see if we can get through them without taking an additional, let's say, two hours to answer them. <laughs> right. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, we've been rolling pretty well. So let's let's you know let's hit the first one and see see how it goes. Let's let's hit it. And and so I think this one's short. The first one seems like a short answer to me, Nick. Okay. So the question is, what is the best way to protect? my scripts once written and while waiting to produce a film. And I think the, the answer is really straightforward. Uh, the first thing you can do is, is just register your screenplay with the WGA. I think it costs 20 to 40 bucks at this point, it's something pretty nominal, you know, relative to what things cost. Um, that's one way. Really easy. Now, the thing you need to know about that is the WGA, uh, they'll follow away your, that version, only that version of the screenplay. So Correct. if you make edits, um, <clears throat> or they'll protect that version. That's the word mm-hmm. I'm looking for. Yeah. If you make edits or it changes dramatically or you bring on a co-writer, you know, you'll need to do it again if you feel a little bit you know, paranoid about it or worried about it. Um, you could also file your screenplay with the Library of Congress. I think it costs about the same, yep. 20 to 40 bucks. And it doesn't you take also, that long. Yep. You could also fold up, you know, if you, well, I wouldn't say fold up, put it in a big manila envelope, mail the screenplay to yourself, and, and then sort of send it certified mail to yourself yep. and never open it. And that'll protect you. <clears throat> but let me... But let me put all this into some context as well and, and ease, ease the mind of this, this questioner. Um, you probably don't need to do any of that stuff. Any of it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, you, you probably don't need to do any of this stuff. We, we've had writers that will do NDAs and create NDAs to protect their IP if, if producers are reading the screenplays and things like that. But the, the real reality is, is no one can execute your screenplay quite like you can. And it's much easier for a buyer or an executive or a streamer or a studio or whoever you're trying to sell to, to just hire you to do what's already been done than to right, go through the turmoil. Yeah, exactly. Nick. Just buy it. Um, option it. You know, it's so much easier to do that than to go through the turmoil of like, ripping you off and then like protecting themselves with lawyers and future lawsuits. Like they know that you're waiting in the wings to sue them. <laughs> like, like they know. Yeah. So, Cause even, so, even if you don't quote unquote win, right. The lawsuit, cause I know that's what some people will think. Yeah. Well, like, well, they're going to lawyer up and there's no way I can sue them. I'm not going to win. They don't want to be engaged in the lawsuit. They don't yeah. want the bad press associated with it. So no. yeah, they're, they're not going to take your stuff. And the other good news is you probably will win. Yeah. Either through a settlement because they don't want, because of exactly what Nick just mentioned or simply because the second you write something these days into a screen um, writing software or program, there's so much metadata now around every stroke that, that, you know, of your, of your finger on a keyboard that all you need to do is simply prove that your screenplay was, was written before the offender screenplay was written and you'll win. 
right. um, in, in court. So there, there's, you know, that's kind of how IP law works. Like the creator is always given preference and protected in those situations. So to sum up what me and Nick were saying, go out and write, do your damn thing. It's going to be awesome. And don't be paranoid. Nobody can do what you do. No one's yeah. going to take it. And they don't, and they don't want to. And if it's and really just, great, <laughs> they can't wait to buy it and hire you. Yeah. And, I, and I'll just add to that, that, you know, the, the question really, it's, it's interesting the way that they position the question, because it's, you know, how do I protect it while I'm about to produce it? And they didn't even mention that they were going to send it out to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like this idea of you're trying to protect something that maybe no one will even see. Yeah. So there's an interesting level of, um, of fear here that I'm not sure where it comes from, right. Where it originates. And, you know, like the idea of an NDA and all this stuff, it's like, you know what, don't, don't mess around with the NDAs. People will laugh at you and say, you want me to read it or not? I'm not going to sign your NDA. I don't have time to be stealing your stuff. That's not what I'm about. You got to just trust me. Um, but the other part of it is, is that, you know, on paper at that point, it's an idea. Yep. Right. And it's not, people aren't going to try to take the idea. It's all about, execu- it's about execution. It's about execution. Exactly. That's the point. You can't protect the idea. It's all about the execution. So, you know, again, you could do the whole, you know, I'm going to protect it in any way I can and then file it away. The next 10 years, someone has an idea that's similar and you try to bring it out. Like, no, you didn't execute on that idea. Happens, you didn't do anything with it. Exactly. So I would say just whatever that fear is, it's likely unfounded, you know, just work on your project. Yeah. Execute, execute, execute. Yeah. What was that Armageddon and deep <laughs> impact? It just came out at the same time. Came out about a month and then the, the two, uh, the two shark movies. Yeah. Uh, the one with Blake uh, Lively. No, 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 not that one. It was the one like, um, oh, LL Cool J. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I forget that. Yeah, there was that one. It was LL Cool J and Samuel L. Jackson. And then another one came out like around like exactly the same time. I was like, are you kidding me? How how does it even happen? It happens because there's a lot of creative people that have similar ideas and the executions (laughs) have to be similar. And that's that's (laughs) right. And it comes out at the same time. That's what happens. And And the real hard, honest truth is if your screenplay gets stolen it's going to be by your roommate yeah, right <laughs> who's going to who's be using the same, same computer yeah who's going to be in the same boat you're in trying to make it and they think you have something and they're going to steal it from you and and they're not going to have the ability to do anything with it um okay next question how much in a film budget does one allocate for a lawyer yep and uh and the process, that's an interesting qualifier, mm-hmm. when other production costs are high. So well, I'll, let you jump in on this. I'll let you yeah, jump in on this. I'll let you jump in on this. But so in general, to answer the question directly to start off with, and then we will go into the nuance of this. It's but it's about two hundred and fifty to four hundred and fifty dollars an hour to get an, a really good entertainment lawyer. Maybe you'll find somebody for less. Maybe you can work a deal. All that's in your power. All that's in your power to negotiate. But that's generally what it costs per hour to get an entertainment lawyer. But the implication in this question is almost that 
maybe you should not get a lawyer, maybe, or like because production costs are high. Uh, or maybe you get a lawyer at some other time or like you, I don't know. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, that's the part that jumped out at me was this, you know, how much do I put in my budget considering that I have to pay all of this other stuff to make it? to make the project, right. Make the product to make the film. And it's like, no, this is foundational stuff. You know, like you gotta, you gotta protect yourself. So it's like, once you make the thing, you need the protections. Right. And going forward, I mean, even starting out, but going forward in the, the selling, the distribution, all that process to get, you know, make a profit from your film. All of that stuff is based off of contracts. So you need someone on your team that's going to be able to review those contracts on your behalf, who's trained in that, right? That's their job to do that. And that's where the entertainment lawyer comes in. So thinking about it, like, well, all these other costs are so high, how much should I budget? It's like, well, no, no, no. You have to do that to run the business of your film. So maybe you look at your production budget and figure out something over there that you need to free up right. In order to do the infrastructure type things like that, maybe that's the way you should look at it. And, you know, you and I look at the, the legal fees, the same way we look at some of the PNA, the branding and marketing. It's like, you guys want to make the product, but then not tell anybody about it. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> you gotta have a budget to let people know that you exist, right. That you have something. Yeah, right. Movie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna market it at all. So yeah, so that's where I'm at. I'm at just like these are foundational things and you shouldn't be so overly focused on on making the thing that you forget about the infrastructure that's required to protect it and to sell it. Yeah, I really love what you said there about protecting the business of your film because it's something that we need to be reminded of. We all know it, but it's just nice to be reminded, hey, you know, every time you have a film, it's an it's an LLC. It's a business exactly. that you're running. And there's a lot of people out there, gurus. We're probably guilty of it as well, where we tell you about the mindset you need to have to be a founder filmmaker, right? There's like the Gary V's of the world and Gary Vaynerchuk's of the world. They, he, he talks to you about the mindset you need to have to be an entrepreneur, founder, whatever. The problem with that is that very few, and and we try to do it as much as we can. We're doing it here. But the problem is, is with those clips, social media clips and different types of like sort of emotional motivating clips that you can see about filmmaking or owning a business or being an entrepreneur. The problem is, is that it doesn't go over any of the foundational points of what it really takes to, to do it. Like, like Nick was alluding to, like you were alluding to Nick, it, you know, the mindset and having the mindset, it's really important. Like, trust right. me, because yeah. it gets so hard. It gets so dark running a business where you feel like, what are you doing? Like you're going to fail. Like, like you're, you're deluding yourself. You're fooling yourself. You feel that way. So you do have to take care of that, but there needs to be also someone in your life especially as a filmmaker founder or founder filmmaker that says, Hey, you should get an entertainment lawyer and it's non-negotiable. You should brand and market your film. 
It's non-negotiable. You should have insurance on your film. Some sort of, maybe it's a completion bond, but maybe it's just some type of insurance that protects the investors in the event that, you know, your lead drops out or like, right. Yeah. Like something like that. Like there are these things that every founder filmmaker should know as like a baseline. Like you should have a sales agent, non-negotiable. You should have an accountant and a camera accountant ready to go. Non-negotiable. Um, everybody knows to set up a bank account. I'm sure like, but even if you didn't know that, there should be somebody to tell you, hey, you should set up a bank account. Uh, you know, you should understand, you know, how taxes work globally. Um, you should have someone that can invi- advise you on the nature of your grant or rebate in your state. Like, so, so, so some of these things aren't sexy. Right. They're not, yep, they're not like it. social media clip worthy. They're not very sexy to say. Right. And. I apologize for not being sexy right now (laughs) to tell you these things, but but the the reality is, is we can tell you about mindset and motivation just like anybody else, but we also want to be the guys that say, Hey, some foundational things you need to take care of. And to me, an entertainment lawyer, a good one, the kind we talk about, not the kind that's just going to tell you what's legal and not legal, but one right. that actually has your best interest in mind. Yep, somebody so on your trying team. to help you win the negotiation, win the contract. That person is going to be responsible in many ways for whether you, or not your movie is profitable or not profitable. Yep. It's critical. Yeah, period. Foundational. Like you said, non-negotiable. Absolutely. Okay. Third question. I think this will be the last one because yep. <laughs> I talked about my movie list. My movie list too long, I think. <laughs> no, it was um, good, man. It was good combo. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, hope, I hope it was enjoyable. I hope everyone yeah. learned everything um, in, or something from it. Okay. Here's the question. In this Netflix model... Huh, that's interesting. So in this Netflix model, does the independent filmmaker retain the rights to sequel films and future franchise or are those rights also signed away? Well, Nick, this kind of ties in with the need for an entertainment lawyer, right? There you go. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's one of those where we could just say the thing and walk away. Right. It's like <laughs> all depends on the contract. Yeah. But like that, that's it, you know, and Netflix is a business. The other streamers are businesses. And, you know, if, like you said, like you're talking about a sequel, like, is there legitimately going to be one? Is the, yeah. does this film lend itself well to this? You know, um, maybe they don't want the rights to it, but maybe they'll give you enough money to make it and you can come back. All right. Like that's, it all depends on what you guys negotiate in that process. Um, I think that's, that's really what it comes down to that. I don't think there's an absolute when it comes to sequels and, you know, ancillary product and things like that. So again, get a very good entertainment lawyer to consider your interest and to consider the things that you're actually going to look into doing. 
right? There's no reason to try to protect certain rights if you have no desire or plans on exploiting them, right? If that streamer will exploit those rights on, on the behalf of the product and you don't intend to, that could be great for you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that could be a boon for you because you were the originator of the, of the content. So, so yeah, that's like, to me, it's like, it's very simple. It's like, it's all in the contract. That's what you need that money for that entertainment lawyer. Yeah. And it's all, it's all in the pitch as well. A lot of times, if you think you're going to have a sequel or multiple streams of revenue from your initial film, that'll come out in your pitch. You know, if you, in this Netflix world, so to speak, as, as the as the question positioned it, mm-hmm. um, you would say in your pitch, and I think there's a, and here's what movie two looks like. Here's what my movie part three looks like. There you go. And let me tell you about the strategy we have for retail. And those are important things to mention in the pitch because you're going to win if those things are compelling and that looks like a path. And in that case, Netflix might want to own the whole kit and caboodle, but what you'll get out of it is a three film contract. That's going to be very lucrative. Right. There you go. That's the thing. They don't want to be in the business of any individual film or series. It's bigger than that. (laughs) Exactly. And if you have a good entertainment lawyer, then you can say, Hey, yeah, I'm cool with you owning the rights to the film, but I do want uh, back in payments of, um, you know, 200 basis points or 2% or whatever. Um, on all future sales at, at the retail, at retail, right. the retail yep. window, whatever you would call it. Right. So you can, you can do that to next point and, 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 you know, every, what makes film industry so cool and interesting is that every contract is unique. Um, for the, for the most part, there are boilerplates, but these agreements tend to be unique. And I do like the positioning of the question about Netflix, because I do think there's going to be an opportunity for indie filmmakers and creators to and and just everyone in general to really give their best pitches and unique pitches to Netflix. You know, I don't think it's any secret that they had and continue to have a, a massive sell off of their stock price. Uh, I think at this point it's probably in the aggregate dropped forty five percent off of its previous spot. Um, I think it's probably valued too low. It's probably an overreaction by the market, but I think the market's overreacting to everything because the market's really scared right now. But they lost these 200,000 net subscribers, but more importantly, they missed the guidance by a lot, right? Like we know about the Russian service and subscriber right, cutoff. Yeah. They really actually were plus 500,000 if you take that out. But the problem is, is they said they would be plus two and a half million. And that's what Wall Street and investors and institutional investors are looking at that, that, hey, you missed your your guidance spot a lot. Right. right? So that's that tells me they have made a miscalculation on what their subscriber base wants and what people are interested in. And right now what you're seeing is a great interest in the content created by Disney plus you're seeing great interest in the content created by Apple TV. They, they, they spare no expense on anything they make. It's unbelievable. And it's proof that, you know, the thesis Nick we've always shared, which is story is King is is playing out. And I think HBO max is easily the best streamer you can get right now. They have everything and they take chances 
They take risks. They'll give you euphoria. They're not going to censor Bill Maher, John Oliver. Uh, They'll give you, you know, these really fantastic shows, hour-long series, and they still have their base of movies. And then they have this incredible back catalog of television on top of that. I mean, they steal successions around the corner again. Like, it's just like nonstop for them. I just think um, when the merger actually goes through and the, or the buyout with discovery goes through, it's just going to increase even more. And so even though Netflix is an unbundled sort of in its own spot, exists on its own yeah. existence, I think it's not really the leader in quality content right now. And I think that really has to frustrate Reed Hastings. I think you're going to see him go back to being, you know, that or wanting to be that, that type of streamer that's doing compelling things, not just populist things like love is blind or squid game, which was great, but it was a, it, it, it appealed to populist dystopian dread. Um, and, they could have promoted the hand of God, for example, much, much better. People should know that that movie exists. Uh, they did a, they spent a ton of money on the power of the dog. So that is what it is. But was that the right place to place the money? I don't know. They had a, yeah, another well, movie is, with uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. That was, that was great. And I don't feel like yeah. they really promoted it that much at all. Yeah. I look at, great. honestly, I look at Netflix as sugar. Yeah. You know, it's sugar. It's like people oh, you know, go out. To, yeah, man. People get out there and get that sugar. You know, that's great. It feels real good. You know, they, they want that sugar high. Right. And they go back again and they get sugar and they go back again and they get sugar. And then it's like someone introduces them to like some whole food. Yeah. Right. And explains to them about why whole food is so good. Yeah. And then like, well, let me go check out this whole food. Let's see what it's about. Oh, snap. Like, I feel good that I just consumed that. Like, I feel like, I feel good. Like I, not only was it entertaining, right. Not only did I get that feel cause it was, you know, it was chefed up, you know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was done. The presentation was awesome. But when I was done with it, I didn't feel dirty. Yeah. Right. Like I felt good. And I think that's what some of these other streamers are doing. They're like, Hey, Netflix, you can have all the sugar you want. You know, you go ahead, like just get all the content and do that and do that. And we'll be over here. We'll put extra money into that whole food. Yep. And people come over here, they'll realize it's a whole different game and they will come here and they will stay here and we don't need to overfeed them the sugar, right? Cause that's what you do when you go to a you know, spot with sugar, man, the walls are dripping with sugar It's everywhere, right? You just, they just overfeed you. It's like, you're not going to overfeed, right? We're going to make sure that we put out some great stuff and maybe there'll be a little bit of a delay. Right. Like, well, maybe we'll give them a little bit of sugar, but no, they're going to wait for that whole food is going to come back again and they're going to get it. And I think that's what these other streamers, when you talk about them, Apple TV plus you talk about HBO max, that's what I see. I'm like, man, yeah, they, they're really good at selling that whole food, a little bit of sugar, but it's a whole lot of whole food. Yeah, exactly. And I, what's happened in the last three or four or five years with Netflix does really remind me of WeWork when it was ran by Adam Newman I had a a business partner friend actually that had uh, did a negotiation with Adam Newman and we work and he said it was unbelievable. They wanted a space in a building that he had the rights to a floor that he had the Mm -hmm. rights to. And they, 
gave the price. And what WeWork didn't know is they were pretty happy with the price they, they pitched them. But like a good businessman, Will, he said, well, I don't know. I, don't, I think we're going to hold on to it. We need it. And their counter offer was two, either two hundred dollars or $400,000 over asking, over their last offer that they were already happy with, plus a bunch of other unnecessary contingencies <laughs> because they were told, close the deal no matter what. Just close the deal. We'll make the money on the back end. Don't worry about it. Just close the deal. And they overpaid for everything, everything. And it was amazing to hear this story from my, from my buddy because it was like, yeah, that's called, that. that's when you're just trying to grow and you don't care about what things cost. A movie pass, same way. Let's just grow. We'll worry. We'll figure out the accounting <laughs> later. We'll figure right. out the, the, the burn rate later. Now, I think Netflix did that. I mean, this Ryan Murphy deal, terrible. The Eddie Murphy deal, terrible. Mm. I mean, they overpaid and said, look, we own this stuff. We'll make it up on the back end. Don't worry about it. But I think those days are probably numbered. I think Reed Hastings and team are going to have to come back to the table uh, to, to institutional investors to say, here's how we're going to change. Like, here's what we're going to do with pricing. Here's what we're going to do with M&A like mergers and acquisitions. Here's what we're going to do with different types of pricing tiers. Maybe we do some ad stuff. Um, I, I don't see that happening, but maybe they do. Um, like have like, like a cheaper version, but you get ads or something or less content or something like that. And then I think you're also going to see them open up to more creators like, like that are in our audience. And so I say, get your scripts and pitches ready. And I think they're going to be ready to, 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 take on things that are more substantive than uh, selling sunset. So, <laughs> there you go. Very good. There you go. Nick, yes, this sir. has been an absolute blast uh, as per always. usual. Cheers to you. Yeah, there you and go. My, the, my the last few out, sips of Califino. <laughs> um, do you want to reveal what's in your giant mug? That's the size of your face. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, so this is, I wouldn't call it that, but yeah, right. I, <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are other adjectives I would use for that mug. <laughs> that big ass mug. Uh, so what's in here is a Vermont maple ginger tea. Mm-hmm. Nice. With a little bit of honey for sweetener. Mm-hmm. And then I'll just say a generous pour of Tennessee whiskey. <laughs> 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 I won't go into the measure. I'll just say a generous pour of Tennessee whiskey. I always like uh, that. I always like that guy at the bar who gets a little bit too into it. It's kind of pervy. It's like, yeah, pour me two fingers. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> pour, pour, pour me, pour me a trio of fingers, please. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. Finger, finger guy. You're right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so that's what I'm drinking. On. And yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, it's delicious. It's a perfect balance. So it's it's awesome. Well, we're both feeling good. We're both feeling light. And I hope the audience is feeling the same way. I hope this was informative. If it wasn't informative, you can let us know at contact at bonsai.film, which I mentioned earlier. They would never do such a thing. This is too much goodness, man. We're having too much fun. I agree with you, but I never want to assume if you, no, I, I if understand you, if we were helpful, then you can use the same email address. We answer 100% of those emails. There you go. Uh, just ask anybody. We also, 
uh, answer 100% of our DMs. So you can reach out to us on social media. That's on Twitter, Instagram at underscore Bonsai Creative. Yep. You can find us on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative as well. You can find us on YouTube by searching for Bonsai Creative or the Make It Podcast, either one. You can find us and you can support this podcast by simply going to www.bonsai.film forward slash true fans. It starts at five bucks. That's the cost of a cappuccino. Uh, making a podcast, not easy, not cheap, and would uh, love your support for those that are supporting and, and helping out. We love you to death. We really appreciate yep. it. Uh, you can reach out to me individually on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart, or you can just search for Christopher Barkley. On Twitter, if you search for Chris Barkley, you won't get me. Uh, <laughs> and you can reach out to Nick directly at Nick at Bonsai.film. Last but not least, once you go to our website, www.bonsai.film, yep. you'll have the opportunity to sign up for our bi-weekly newsletter, gaining more subscribers every day. Uh, we've had so much wonderful feedback about the newsletter, the content we put in it. We're super proud of it, and we wouldn't be able to do it without you guys, and there'd be no purpose. So do sign up. We won't spam you. We won't sell your stuff. That's right. But we will give you a bunch of industry insights and goodness in your inbox every second Friday of the month and give you something to read over the weekend. So with that, Nick, please leave us with the credo. Uh, my pleasure. <laughs> all right folks yeah the, our, our podcast friends family our filmmakers out there you know as always be better be creative be engaged and thank you for listening nick talk to you soon yes sir as always man we'll do it again all right brother be good all right man yeah you take it easy peace all right man peace You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute. Contributions start at only $5 monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. And you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments, and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.